Hi, in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and listeners like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground in mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the Seneca writings, In the Presence of Death. In the presence of death, we must continue to sing the song of life. We must be able to accept death and go from its presence, better able to bear our burdens and to lighten the loads of others. Out of our sorrows should come understanding. Through our sorrows, we join with all of those before who have had to suffer and all of those who will live and have to do so. Let us not be gripped by the fear of death. If another day is added to our lives, let us joyfully receive it, but let us not anxiously depend on our tomorrows. Though we grieve the deaths of our loved ones, we accept them and hold on to our memories as precious gifts. Let us make the best of our loved ones while they are with us, and let us not bury our love with death. My guest today is Michelaine Ronigan. She's a Portland area artist and a thespian. She was born near Los Angeles, and I read that she spent much of her formative years being led around by three older sisters while escaping huge snapping turtles in Des Moines, Iowa cornfields. That's correct. Yeah, my I have three older sisters, and they love to lose me in the cornfield. <laughs> and they're huge snapping turtles in cornfields in Iowa? Yeah, they, well, I was only two feet tall. <laughs> Ah, sounds crazy. Now, also, you had a near-death experience that wiped out much of your fear about death. I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about the fact that your deceased self is going to be sent up Pill Hill here in Oregon to Oregon Health and Sciences University for study and then cremated. And you want your ashes incorporated in the beauty of the ocean. Correct. Yeah, I am totally behind uh, disposable death. Uh, I appreciate what you do with your Green Reaper Uh, And I figured I can lend my body to science once I'm done with it. And uh, the medical students can appreciate that. And then afterwards, the person has a choice after they donate to the OHSU. And uh, my choice was to be cremated and my ashes uh, placed in the ocean. Why the ocean? Uh, I thought the fish could use it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite beach or different state? No, no, no. I just think water is a fitting end. So Oregon is good? Yeah. A oh, husband beautiful. can drive his his uh, truck down to Newport, go to Moe's for some chowder, and off you go off the pier? Oh, we did that with some friends, yeah. Yeah, when they died, we did that whole thing with the little Viking boats and the flames, and oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so I got to see the visual on that. What did that look like? Well, they were little boats, and they just floated on, you know, the Wilson River, I think. But it was sending wishes off to the departed. Wow. And did you light them on fire? Oh, uh, yeah. And they were supposed to burn to send the message into the atmosphere. Now, did you burn the boat first and launch it, or did you launch it and then do your flaming bow and arrow and hit it? It was a flaming bow and arrow type thing. <laughs> Who has the skills to hit the small little tiny boat? Well, it was, you know... It was actually pretty easy, you know, a barbecue thing. I see. 
<laughs> like th- throwing a rock. It was simple. Right. <laughs> nice. All right. So you're very colorful. We have lots to unpack. And I really want to get into, you had a near-death experience. And that doesn't happen to everybody. But I think people are so interested. What the heck is that like? Oh, it was transformative. Uh, I was about 30 years old. I'm now 73. And it just removed my fear of death for myself. Uh, my experience, I'm going to be very visual about this because I'm a visual person. And I found myself on a road, and there was a curb. And about eight feet away, there was a tunnel. It was like an upside-down U. It wasn't totally round. And inside, it was very lit. It had gold and pink lights. And it was very attractive, very welcoming. And I, I made a move to go to it because I thought it was attractive. I wanted to go there. So I put one foot over this curb and had the thought, no, it's not my time yet. I took my foot back over the curb and I came to. That was the extent of my experience. And it totally changed my idea about death and dying. What did it feel like? It was totally pleasant. It was totally appropriate. It felt like, it felt very real. It wasn't scary. I was talking to a woman recently, and she said that she did die. She came back a couple minutes later, and she said it was the most amazing time. And she said the colors, the music, it was all, it's not even of this world. It was so beautiful and pleasant and heavenly and wonderful and just couldn't even describe to somebody what this was like. So, I mean, you must be obviously a special person to go through this because all of us sort of are interested, but that's amazing to have that happen to you. It is. And I wouldn't wish it on everybody. Um, And I don't know why it happened to me and not somebody else, but I appreciate the experience. Mm -hmm. It definitely uh, changed my ideas about dying. Do you do anything differently now, like wear your seatbelt, or do you stop and smell the flowers? What kind of different actions do you take in your life now? Uh, I have a lot less fear of, you know, anything. <laughs> well, not anything. I, I have a terrible fear about mice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I feel like I have a time to live and a time to die. And I don't have much control over it. I do take care of myself. I, you know, try to eat healthy and exercise and, you know, love the people I love and all that good stuff. So you're sort of at peace that when your number's up, your number's up. Exactly. Yeah. That, you know, it's appropriate. Now, the fact you have COPD and you've been struggling with health issues, does that lend to the idea of, okay, I'm dealing with this now, but what will happen will happen? Yeah, kind of. Uh, <laughs> now that you mentioned the COPD, though, I have to mention that I just got a sleep apnea machine this week. And it's really a struggle. I'm very sympathetic to anybody who's made the learning curve. I know nothing about that. What is that experience like? Uh, it's a machine that a person connects to the web so that there's a report on a sleeping uh, period. And a person wears a mask, and there is air blown into the nose. And I have to wear a chin strap, too, because my jaw drops open when I sleep. And 
so I have this noisy air <laughs> flowing through my head and uh, limited movement because of mask. I'm sure it's going to improve because this is supposed to be so much healthier for people with the, the apnea situation. And since apnea, I think I was stopping breath 55 times an hour while asleep. And so this has got to be good eventually, but after one week, it's, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and you knew that you stopped that many times because you were hooked up to a machine that told you this? I had two sleep studies done at the Oregon Clinic. All right. The first one was to see what the apnea was doing, and the second one was to try me with a uh, mask wearing for the night. And do you find your dreams are more colorful because there's so much oxygen going through your system? Uh, they're much more detailed, much more complicated. That's if I can dream at all. Hmm. Hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. Now, you're an artist because that's why you like visualness yes. and all. So how do you come up with art? Because I'm not an artistic gal. I'm creative, not artistic. So how does one, what's your medium and how do you do this? Um, I'm, I'm working in two dimensions. I work on canvas or paper, wood. I paint, I watercolor, uh, and basically I try to express uh, what it is to be human. Um, that I think about things, and like my current project is um, unwanted stuff. This is a painting. And part of that is because I'm practically manic about cleaning up the house and getting rid of stuff that's might be useful for somebody else and isn't useful for me right now. So I have, you know, a lot of feeling about unwanted stuff, but it also involves personality traits, memories of something we might have done that was maybe a little petty or short-sighted years ago or yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm trying to, ex I'm not, tr well, I am. I'm trying to express this thought about what is unwanted stuff and hope that people can spend a few minutes looking at it and maybe relating. Have you heard of the book Swedish Death Cleaning? No. <laughs> All right. So this came out about two years ago, and this is a really big movement. And it's that idea of get your affairs in order. And that doesn't mean be right with God, or that doesn't mean get your plans made at the funeral home. That means you take stock of your stuff. You go through it. You look at it. And sort of put it in the boxes or at Goodwill or the recycle bin so someone else doesn't have to come into your life and organize your stuff. That's normally stuck on a kid to come through and say, ah, yeah, yeah, my mom. And, you know, people say, well, this is her teacup collection. I don't want to get rid of her teacup collection. And, well, these are her writings and this is that. Well, when it's your stuff, you can say, ah, this is junk or, oh, these were scribbles. It doesn't matter. It's easier for you, I think, to get rid of maybe some of your own stuff than you being deceased, somebody loving you, thinking every single thing you wrote on with pencil is the greatest thing ever because, you know, you're someone they love. I have been into that mode for at least five years now. And I'm sure people thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I, Little do they know, they will thank you for that. <laughs> we hope our daughter does, and she'll be taking care of things. And yes, I haven't bought new clothes. <laughs> I have been really cutting back on what I need to replace, because I figure, am I going to wear it out? Uh -huh. And of course, polyester clothing never, never wears out, so I've had this shirt for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, polyester, it's not very biodegradable. 
No, it isn't that either. But I'm going to wear it until I can yeah. no longer. So wear it while you're alive on the planet, but don't wrap yourself in it and bury it. Because exactly. it's really going to, yeah, <laughs> no eco-friendly stuff there. Okay, so you sent me an article a little while ago, and it was talking about how there's real science now with the human body and how you can survive for a few minutes without oxygen. I know you're obviously very interested in oxygen because you struggle to breathe occasionally. So what are your thoughts about the new studies that are coming out? Oh, I think it's marvelous. I am so appreciative of research and medical advances that are making for uh, contributing to our state of health and our quality. Uh, there's a lot of people with uh, COPD, millions and millions around the world. Uh, it's partly due to air pollution. Mm. And the fact that it's continuing to be researched is amazing to me and wondrous. But I just heard from a therapist the other day, a respiratory therapist, that the studies on oxygen needs, have there hasn't been any since the 70s, 1970s. Why do you think that is? No money. Oh, I guess it's like everything, huh? With research, it takes cash, grants, all that. Correct. And so the need for oxygen supplementation is totally wide open. And people that are, you know, either by choice or circumstances decide not to supplement oxygen anymore, some of them can live another two years without oxygen supplementation. So the whole thing is amazing that we don't even know our need for oxygen. We all breathe, animals breathe, plants breathe. We need our air, <laughs> and we don't know that much about it. What I love is there's documentaries, there's TV, there's all these things that support, like you say, that advancement of what we're doing for health, for medical, for passing away, and all of that. Have you heard of this show on Netflix? It's called The Story of God with Morgan Freeman. No, but that sounds wonderful. It is enjoyable. So my husband and I don't spend a lot of time together besides working. So we decided we're going to actually look at Netflix and maybe spend an hour and evening enjoying something together. So we've come across this program. And this is an American television documentary series. It premiered a couple years back on National Geographic Channel. And of course, it features Morgan Freeman. He explores various cultures and religions and their take on religion related topics, but also really their belief in God, but death, all of this. And these episodes are fantastic because he'll talk to people and there shows all what they do in India, all what they do and how we really work to uh, honor ourselves, our spirituality and move forward with this. What is the name of the show again? It's called The Story of God with Morgan Freeman. Sounds wonderful. That'd be cool to be such a good actor and such so big that it's not just the story of God and, oh, yeah, Morgan Freeman's the guy who narrates it. It's the story of God with Morgan Freeman. You're part of the title. Ah, very good. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of thespian stuff, you're a bit of an actress. Ah, uh, yes. And more yes. than a bit of an actress. You are. <laughs> you, in the Portland scene, you're out there doing stuff. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Uh, I didn't start an acting career until I was 65. And, I uh, think just starting right there, why do you start an acting career at 65? I needed money. <laughs> <laughs> the love of the character study. No, it's the cash. Right? Yeah, I mean, Social Security just doesn't cut it. <laughs> uh, and I fell into an opportunity to work on Portlandia. Just fell into it. Yep, I did. Uh, my <laughs> girlfriend, <amazing. laughs> really, my girlfriend's daughter emailed me and she said, Mickey, you got to try out for this. They want a spunky grandma. 
and she knew Simon Maxell, who's a casting mm-hmm. agent. And so I figured, why not? So I auditioned for that. I didn't make it. I only recently got a grammar role. And, uh, but Simon liked my tape, and he showed it to Carrie Brownstein and Fred Armisen. And they said, yeah, she could be, you know, your mom. And so for three seasons, three episodes, I played Carrie Brownstein's mother. And did they just create a role for you? You could be her mom? Uh, they wrote it into the, her, their storylines. The wow. That yeah. needs to be on your tombstone. I know. <laughs> you're not yeah. going to have one. You're going to be scattered to see. Exactly. You know, who's going to read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, how about in the newspaper then? How about on your Facebook post that says you died? We'll put that in there too. Yeah, maybe Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ironic because that's how I met you. Right? Twitter. Yeah, right. we think exactly. of social media as being this horrible thing, but I have met really fascinating people. I met a hospice nurse once off Twitter uh-huh. about three years ago. She had said to me, oh, we, we had talked back and forth and we both had an aging parent who was passing away of Alzheimer's and I had, I had goats and sheep and she had chickens. And one day she said, you know what? I really like you. Let's meet. And I said, I'm sorry, I have no time between the funeral home and my father and taking care of him. I don't have time. And she said, oh my gosh, we have so much in common. We've got to get together. And I thought, well, I don't know if this is really a nurse or who the heck this is finally got to be at 4th of July weekend and said, my husband and I have these passes for the Blues Festival and these VIP passes. We really like you to come and be a part of this. And I thought something about her felt really good and natural. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I will come. I will meet you in public. We'll do this, but I'm going to let everybody I know your address and your number and where you are and all this. And she said, go for it, do it. Her and her husband, gentle, wonderful, kind people. We had a great time. It was my first ride in an Uber. We rode the Uber back to their house. I said goodbye to them outside. And her husband turned to her at the very end of the night and said, well, do you think this is the time when we should drag her in the basement and do what we wanted to do? <laughs> and, you know, I had I got a big kick out of it because they were so kind over the fact that, you know, things do happen. Bad things happen to decent people. But nonetheless, the story is, yay, Twitter, because I've met really wonderful people. Agreed, yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So tell us, please, if you would, I would love to hear something about working at Portlandia, either a story of something fun, a role you did, whatever you feel like you can share. I uh, got to say that the cast and crew and the director and the stars were just amazingly wonderful people. Uh, it being, a, you know, I was a newbie. I never did this. I never envisioned myself acting. And here I was and uh, playing a role, sweating, <laughs> and... Uh, they were so kind and just let me do what I do. And so I don't know what the best story would be because we were all on set and so we're all very controlled. Uh, but we did have a lot of fun at the cast parties at the end of the season. And the fact they're such wonderful people and you enjoyed being on set, that's beautiful. Oh, that's that great is. right there. It's rare. I mean, it doesn't happen to everybody. I was very fortunate. Nice. And that's amazing. Like you say, you just stepped into it. Meant to be, obviously, preordained. That's really, really fantastic. And I know that there's something you're working on now currently. I don't know how much you can say about it. Oh, this is so exciting. This, is, this will be my first uh, network uh, debut. Uh, but I recently was called in to work on a pilot study. And uh, most of the cast is Canadian, but there are some stars there. And... Uh, I was the only featured extra. I don't have any lines to say. 
And being an extra, I find kind of hard. 18 hours for two hours on set. Um, <laughs> but the anyway. dogs are barking at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, the show was picked up by ABC. It's going to be premiering in the fall on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. And it's currently called Stumptown, and it's, which is Portland's nickname, as most of us know. And it was so exciting, uh, and it went so well, I couldn't believe it. And when I talked to my casting agent, she said, oh, I can't wait to see you on screen. And I'm thinking, me too, you know, because one never knows what's going to be on the cutting room floor, mm-hmm. even if there's two hours of film. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that. So I'm looking forward to watching it with all of you. <laughs> I love that. I oh, love yeah. that. That's wonderful. There was a show called Nowhere Man that was filmed here in the... The uh, Well, I got the two thumbs up from the engineer. It must be good. This is um, <laughs> mid-90s, and it was filmed here, and Bruce Grima was the star of that. And this is when Portland filming and all that just started getting a little bit open. We were going, of course, to Vancouver, because Vancouver could look like any city possible, but Portland was starting to have some perks for creatives to come do this. And I worked at the Portland Memorial Funeral Home at that point, and they were so gracious with me. We would do filming. Now I was only an extra, but several times I would go throughout the week, do the filming. And then Monday, eight o'clock, the television show would come on three times in a row that I did this. I would tell them the character, oh yeah, I'm the girl in the red bathing suit. And I flip my hair and I do this and Bruce walks by (laughs) and all the stuff. We would sit and watch it. And would you believe it? I never showed up, never showed up. And I got cut and I was on the floor constantly. (laughs) And so finally in the fourth episode I did, my Jeep showed up. So I guess that's something. It's a consolation. We were at the old Myron Frank parking garage in Washington Square. And my dad says, that's your Jeep. And I thought, <laughs> well, okay, it's something. It's like my other extra who were, I worked with on this one scene. His wife is all tuned to his little extra parts. And she says, that was your elbow. <laughs> yeah. I had one of those two walking down the street. And you see like my wrist and my hand. But it could have been anybody. <laughs> but I know it was me because I was right there in position with that purple dress. And I was right there behind whomever. And I yeah. hope you told everybody. Yeah. Well, everybody from the funeral home sat and watched it. And the next <laughs> work, where were you? Didn't you see my fingers? That was me. That was me. All right. So you have exciting news, too, regarding your paintings. You've been oh. accepted to a New York show. Yes, this is my New York debut. And uh, this is a First Street Gallery. It was a national jury show. They had 1,800 submissions, and they have about 40 artists that they selected. And one wow. of my paintings was picked. Uh, the show is opening in June. So we'll be shipping on July 3rd through Navis Shipping. They're wonderful for shipping art. And I'm sorry I can't be there with my painting, but uh, the painting is called It. And as a personal expression, it represents all those it's that some of us make up. Saying, oh, I can't do that because I'm too short. I can't do that because I'm too old. I can't do that because I'm too young, too smart, too whatever. And they're self-limiting. And they're probably functional for a while. Uh, But I think it helps to be aware of them. Those of us who are on the West Coast or someplace not as eccentric as New York, can we see this online someplace? Uh, well, it would be First Street Gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably have news of the show. I just sent out an email that I got from the gallery with the announcements. But I'm encouraging anybody who can to visit New York in June. Yeah. <laughs> it's was, in the Chelsea District. Was this a bucket list thing for you? No, I have never made a bucket list. 
I just live the moment as I can. I'm so pleased to hear that. As a funeral director, people always say, well, I've got a year or two, I've got this bucket list thing. And, you know, I think, again, then the moment is great. And then I've had people say to me, oh, the bucket list was almost complete and dad died and there was three more places he wanted to visit or something. And, he, you know, the, the kids almost feel like he failed because he didn't get all his bucket list stuff crossed off. And you know what? It's in the moment, right? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Nice. So I want to read your artist statement. Am I able to do that? Sure. Okay, this is on your website, and I love it. So I want to read this, okay? And if I butcher something, you just, just yell right out. I investigate abstract experience since it is the essence of feeling and thought. It's how we experience life. Visually, my intention is to disrupt expectations. The aim here is to contribute to contemporary art by breaking and expanding conventions of composition, color, and ideas about beauty, perfection, and balance. My intention is to expand visual communication, its language. First viewing doesn't need to be pleasant or comprehensible, yet aims to encourage. Such encouragement, I believe, leads to greater interior and exterior understanding. That is what art is about. It sounds even more beautiful with your voice. You're too kind. <laughs> it's all that super, uh, super big gulp diet Mountain Dew I drink. No, and I'm kidding. That's terrible stuff. Okay, so I want to hear about the fact that you do deal some blackjack. What is that like? Oh, that is, that's <laughs> another highlight of my life, actually. It's uh, my social aspect, because being an artist, uh, I also am a writer and stuff like that, but uh, it's kind of solitary. So I work for Wild Bills as an event company. We don't deal with real money, thank goodness. Because uh, it's dirty or what? It's just play money. It's uh, for a fundraiser or a graduation party, uh, a lot of corporate events, the holiday parties. And uh, so I deal blackjack. I can deal to seven people at one time. I probably dealt to thousands. We, As a casino, we teach a lot of people because most of us are not casino people. And so most of my players are newbies, and they're just delightful. So if somebody got a hold of Wild Bills, can they say, hey, I want that Portlandia person. I want that artist. Can they re ask for you? Sure. Oh, yeah. that's fun. Yeah, it's a wonderful company. Uh, the owner, Rick, is just, they're all very human-oriented. So if somebody has an issue that they can't work, it's no problem. They always work around it. How do they find that online or phone number or what have you? Uh, it's on the website. The website. Is it just Wild Bill? Wild Bills. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's good domain. He got in there early. Good job, Rick. Right. <laughs> nice. Okay. We have a few minutes left. What is your favorite funeral song? Amazing Grace. Oh, I think Amazing Grace on the bagpipes with the bagpiper coming over the crest there at Skyline Memorial in the fog. That's Whoa. sumptuous. <laughs> I like that very much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you were going to be buried and you were going to have a casket, what color would it be? Cardboard. Cardboard. <laughs> Whoa, threw me for a loop. Won't even say brown. We'd say cardboard. Nice. What do you think about the new water, the, the composition here? We have the resumation going on in Washington that passed by yesterday. We're going to turn people into compost. What are your thoughts? Uh, compost is a great material. I hope we make it. Organ uh, might sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you can take it home. You can actually take those wheelbarrows of compost home because it'll be soil and you can be you can grow the, the plant. We can have the Mickey heirloom tomatoes in the backyard. 
Or it really changes the nature of a family plot. Oh, <laughs> that is fantastic. You've been listening to KKPZ, 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you so much to my guests, Michelaine or Mickey Ronigan. And until we meet again, be excellent to each other. <laughs>